My wife and I um, have these conversations around the house about what is and what isn't a vegetable. <laughs> Do you have those? Is corn a vegetable? I, I see you're, some of you are thinking, is it? Okay, well, you need to come to the Ginch household, I guess. So, um, great to be with you again. And, uh, and I love coming to uh, different churches and uh, Westminster Presbyterian here in town is one of my favorites. Let us join together in prayer. Oh God, our trustworthy teacher of truth, by your spirit, reveal your will to us in the reading of this word. Stir our hearts and minds and strengthen us in response in faithfulness. Amen. I have been uh, compelled by the book of Daniel of the last um, year or so because I believe it has uh, a significant message for our time and place. And so in my retirement, I committed myself to preaching through the book of Daniel. I've only gotten two um, chapters done. This is the first. I've got two done, so ask me to come again and I'll preach the second one. Um, This is uh, one of the great texts of all time. Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. In the year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave King Jehoiakim of Judah into his power, as well as some of the vessels of the house of God. These he brought to the land of Shinar. And he placed these vessels in the treasury of his gods. Then the king commanded of his palace master, Ashpenaz, to bring some of the Israelites of the royal family and of the nobility, young men without physical defect and handsome, versed in every branch of wisdom, endowed with knowledge and insight and competent to serve in the king's palace. They were to be taught the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the royal rations of food and wine. They were to be educated for three years so that at the end of that time they could be stationed at the king's court. Among them were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah from the tribe of Judah. The palace master gave them other names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the royal rations. And so he asked the palace master to allow allow him not to defile himself. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion from the palace master. The palace master said to Daniel, I'm afraid of the Lord my king. He has appointed your food and your drink. If he should see you in poorer condition than the other young men of your age, you would be in danger. You would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel asked the guard whom the palace master had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants 
for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then you can compare our appearance with the appearance of the young men who eat in the royal rations and deal with your servants according to what you observe. So he agreed to this proposal and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, it was observed that they appeared better and fatter than all the young men who had been eating royal rations. And so the guard continued to withdraw their rations and the wine that they were continued to drink and, and gave them vegetables. To these four men, God gave knowledge and skill in every aspect of literature and wisdom. Daniel also had insight into all visions and dreams. This is the word of the Lord. My mother absolutely loved that passage of scripture. When I was a young uh, boy, she used to um, refer to that passage of scripture and say, Roger, eat your vegetables. It's in the Bible. And I hated that passage of scripture, despised it. Um, I mean, to this day, I can remember uh, being, being bludgeoned with that passage of scripture uh, in order that I might eat my vegetables. There was no real good reason for it because the vegetables we typically had were incredible. I am uh, dating myself here, but I grew up in the 50s, and my grandfather, who was a hardware person, um, retired to a 10-acre farm, and there he grew some of the most incredible vegetables on the face of the earth. I grew up in Missouri, farmland. I know there's farmland around here, but in Missouri we had farmland. And it was incredible, the vegetables that my grandfather uh, grew, including um, squash and green beans and broccoli and all the vegetables that Jim had out here and silver queen corn. And it should have been, if I had been more mature, some of the best vegetables I'd ever eaten in my life, but I hated every one of them. I didn't want them. I didn't want to have anything to do with them, period. But there was something I did like. My dad, uh, who was a music teacher and voice instructor, and he had voice students all over the place, including in some of those farms, used to take me to a dairy farm, a real dairy farm. And we would go through the gate and we would push dairy cows aside and goats aside. And there we would secure a a jar of pure cream and fresh butter. And with that cream and butter, my mother would make the most incredible caramels on the face of the earth. I have never tasted to this day anything close to those caramels. Nothing. I have been been all over the United States and in in many places in the world, I've gone into the most exquisite candy shops and and tasted their caramels and none of them, none of them compared to my mother's caramels. Now, I'm sure some of you make caramels and some of you know of some caramels that you like. And you probably, after this service, will come to me and say, you know, Roger, you should try my caramels or you should try the caramels over at such and such. I'm sure you'll find them as good as your mother's uh, caramels and you would be wrong about that. (laughs) Because somewhere in my memory, 
is a six-year-old child that used to eat those incredible caramels. But you know, my mother did something insidious with those caramels. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I'm sure the parents don't do the same kind of thing today as my mother used to do with those caramels. She used them as leverage. I dare say she weaponized those caramels to get me to eat my vegetables. I would say to her, Mom, can I have some vegetables? Uh, caramels, and she would say, no, not until you eat every one of your vegetables. And this was an ongoing thing almost at every meal at the Ginch household when I was growing up. You see, you see, Mom uh, agreed with Daniel. I really was with Nebuchadnezzar. I wanted to eat the royal food. But my mom was way, 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 way before her time. I want to fast forward. Fast forward to this day. Um, Michael Pollan, do you know him? He's written a book called Food Rules. I commend it to you. There are 50 or 30 or some odd number of rules about how to eat. Rules of eating in a food market that he generally disagrees with. I'll tell you about that in a second. There are two of those rules I want to give you today so that, so that regardless of what you think of this sermon at the end, you'll have at least something that you can go home with. One of these rules is this, don't ever eat what your grandmother, your great-grandmother could not identify as food. Huh? Pretty good? The other one is, only eat from the periphery of the grocery store, in other words, the vegetables, and not from the center. You see, what Michael Pollan is against is what he calls a monocultural food system and farming process, which is ruining the food system, according to him. Now, we can argue about that, but that's what he's against. And that's what the book of Daniel is against, too. That's really what's going on in the story, you know. It's a powerful word for us today. Did you notice where Nebuchadnezzar took the exiles? To the land of Shinar. Now, those of you who know your Bible know where the land of Shinar is. Back in Genesis chapter 11 is the Tower of Babel. Do you remember that story? Tower of Babel. That's in the land of Shinar. This was a kind of, this was a mythic story where there was only one tribe and one people. And they said to themselves, lest we be scattered about the earth, let us build a great tower to God that we we might preserve our people and one language. And what did God do? Do you remember? God scattered them throughout the earth. He scattered their language throughout the earth. They became a multilingual, multicultural people. That's what they became. That's the gist of that story. Now, Interpreters of that story say that the gist of that story is about human pride. Human pride. Because, because they were so arrogant, they wanted to build a temple, a, a, a tower to God, right? It was about human pride. But Ted Hebert, a really interesting biblical scholar, says that that's not really what's going on in that story. He thinks that what's going on in that story is that God is protesting 
homogeneity. He's protesting, God, she, he is protesting homogeneity. And so that's why God scatters people throughout the earth, producing a multilingual, diverse people on the face of the earth. This is God's will for us, that we be a diverse people, racially, culturally, in terms of language, because difference counts. Difference is what completes us. But what did Nebuchadnezzar want to do? He wanted to confine them. He wanted them to learn his language, eat his food, and adopt his culture. He wanted to bring it back to the land of Shinar, back to the Tower of Babel. That's what, the, that's what Nebuchadnezzar wanted to do. But Daniel would have none of it because he understood what God wanted for humankind. So go figure that eating your vegetables would be a revolutionary act of resistance, right? That's what it was. It's interesting, Brian uh, Bantam, African-American theologian, once said that God created us for difference. God created us for one another, and if you love one another, you love one another in what is the same and what is different. Isn't that the case? He goes as far as to say, that it is through differences that we, we, we realize what it means to be in the image of God. It is through difference that we learn to be and embody the image of God. You see, we may be individually created in the image of God, but we're only complete in that image as we embody differences, as we seek out differences as we understand the differences of others. That's how we truly embody what it means to be in the image of God. I think that's a word for us today. It's a word uh, not only for the church, but it's a word for us in this culture. When there's so much um, fear about difference, downright resistance to it, I have been uh, um, uh, trying to read books at night. Um, I read books all day long, and so when it comes to going to bed at night, um, I, um, have, uh, I have trouble. Uh, my wife consumes novels before she goes to bed at night. I will start reading a novel, and I will fall immediately to sleep. So you know what I've started doing at night? I've started reading graphic novels. Now that sounds terrible, doesn't it? A graphic novel, you know what a graphic novel is? It's a novel that's been made in comic book form. And, and you know what I've just started to read? George Orwell's 1984 in graphic form. Did you know that George Orwell's 1984, which was written back in the 1950s, and his animal farm that was written in the 1950s, did you know that it's on the top 10 uh, uh, mass market um, list now? It's become so popular. 1984 is becoming so popular. It's a powerful novel if you've never read it. And I commend to you the graphic form of it. It's really easy to read. The gist of it is this. There is this, this tyrannical world. There's an authoritarian government where they've conformed everything to standard form. Even people's expressions have to be the same. The language has to be the same. 
everything has to be everything has to be confined and the message has to be contained. Even history has to be revised so that everything is the same. Everything conforms to an authoritarian sameness. You see, that's what Nebuchadnezzar wanted. That's what the Tower of Babel was trying to achieve. God wants something different for us, though. God scattered the people at the Tower of Babel. God scatters us to embrace our differences. For in that we can embrace one another and the differences therein, we can fully realize the image of God in one another and in ourselves. May it be so. Amen.